by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for the Sunday in the church year that we're about to celebrate. This day we're going to be looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. This year Easter is late, Ash Wednesday is late, Epiphany season is long. In our one-year series, we don't often get a chance to look at these uh, readings for the third, fourth, and fifth Sunday after Epiphany, so this is a special treat for us, and uh, this will be our last Sunday, technically, in the Epiphany season. Next Sunday, we'll be celebrating the transfiguration of our Lord, so we need to get all of our Epiphany stuff Uh, squeezed into this one last Epiphany Sunday. And uh, if there's not enough to squeeze in here, we also have the sanctity of human life that we're going to be observing on this particular Sunday at Good Shepherd. And for those of you that are not uh, Kansas City Chief or New Orleans Saints fans, uh, today is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Chiefs and Saints fans have boycotted Uh, this particular day. There is no Super Bowl, uh, and some have even gone so far as to say there is no God. But uh, we're not going to go quite that far on this (laughs) program. Um, I have uh, weathered my crisis of faith, I think. And so, uh, Pastor, I think you're going to need to have to pull me out of the uh, doldrums and uh, get me back on the right path. Uh, God loves us best when he breaks our false idols. And, uh, oh, boy, did uh, God break my false idol. Christ died even for Saints fans. Oh, however, we do have a hymn in the hymnal for all the Saints. (laughs) You're correct. From their labor's rest. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're resting on Super Bowl Sunday. Enough of that stuff. Um, Fourth Sunday after Epiphany, our introit comes from Psalm 127. Vicar, take it away. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. 
Okay, well, when we hear our gospel reading in just a moment, you're going to see very, very clearly why, why this particular portion of Psalm 127 was um, chosen for our introit. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. I think it's always important whenever we're doing a study of any written uh, words, especially the word of God in Holy Scripture, when we have pronouns, we need to be clear who these pronouns refer to. Uh, the technical term is we need to know the referent. The referent. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So, they, there, there. Uh, who is the they, Pastor? What is uh, what is the referent there? Well, the uh, immediate antecedent uh, referent there is um, the people of Israel, uh, the people uh, living in uh, Judah uh, or uh, or Israel in the Old Testament times. Uh, as we see when we look at our gospel lesson, the uh, uh, the one antecedent that actually comes later is the apostles uh, in the boat with Christ in the storm. Uh, and then by extension, I think we can place ourselves into that as well as we face troubles and distress in this world. Okay, now the, the next one is very simple. And he delivered them from their distress. Who is the he, and why is this so clear who the he is based on the context? We can teach a little uh, biblical interpretation while we're doing this, Pastor. Yeah, the... Uh, uh the he is the Lord, uh, and the reason that we know that's the Lord, if you look at the line right before it, where they cried out to the Lord, and he, and therefore he and Lord are the same pronoun uh, there. They go together uh, and reference each other. Okay, so the people of God cry out to God in their trouble and in their distress, and God delivers them. So we have already here a, uh, a theme of the people of God being in trouble and God hearing their cries and their pleas, and not only hearing, but doing something about it, uh, delivering them. Now, Vicar, the, uh, the Lord is uh, spelled in that funky way here where it almost looks like it's uh, a small uh, small letters, but they're all capitalized. Mm -hmm. um, when, we're, when we're reading the Bible in most modern translations and we come across the Lord, L-O-R-D, all in capitals like that, what is that teaching us about the Word in Holy Scriptures? Yes, in the Hebrew Old Testament, this would be the word for Yahweh, God's proper name that he gave to Moses uh, when he first talked to him through the burning bush. Uh, what's the fancy word for that? The tetragrammaton? Tetragrammaton. Yes. And uh, so when we see the Lord there, L-O-R-D, all capitalized, we know for a fact that this is Yahweh, the true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not a generic Lord like uh, your king would be your Lord or something like that. This is God. 
So speaking about the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, three persons in one God, who uh, reveals himself and his name to Moses in the burning bush, I am that I am. Uh, Pastor, just a couple of words on that Yahweh uh, which is sometimes translated, uh, it's a poor translation, but it's sometimes translated Jehovah. Um, what does this word in and of itself, of course it's God, but what is the uh, etymology of this word, especially with the to be verb? Yeah, in uh, when when God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, uh, or Jesus speaks to Moses through the burning bush, uh, Moses says, oh, who should I say you are that sent me? And the answer that God gives, as we know from uh, Charlton Heston and uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, Ten Commandments, is, I am that I am. I uh, am that right. I am. In the Hebrew, it's uh, uh, Yehi Esher Yehi, uh, or something close to that. My pronunciation in Hebrew isn't very good. Um, but uh, the word means existence or being, the one who contains that within themselves, uh, all existence and being uh, epistemologically, or how do we know we exist. That's the God that um, this verb means, and that's the thing that carries. And I think that takes us back to creation. The whole reason that our world exists is because the God who is, I am that I am, uh, called it into existence, and we have our uh, existence really in him and because of him. And uh, when we see these uh, phrases in the New Testament, like uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that's a reference back to the Yahweh name. When we see repeatedly in the book of Revelation about the, the God who, who was and who is and who is to come, all of these are expanded ways of teaching the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity through this name, Yahweh. And that's in the Gospel of John where the people have problems with Jesus as well when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am uh, the, the gate. Uh, I am all these things. Jesus is using that verb to be I am that I am. And they get, the, the Jews get that he's claiming to be God by saying those things. And so those people who say Jesus never claims to be God, uh, he very well does when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or, or whatever other I am statement he's making. Yeah, good point. They're speaking in ignorance. Um, we've gone into great detail just on this antiphon from Psalm 127, verses 28 and 29. It goes on to say, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Um, uh, a little bit later, he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted the waves of the sea. Vicar, how is God in command of the wind and the waves? How, how can he do that? Well, he is the one who created them, and therefore he is the one that has all authority over them. Uh, we can sort of still see this imperfectly through uh, begetting children even today. When a husband and wife come together and they have a little baby, uh, 
they have control over that child and have the right to say this is what you should do. At least theoretically. Imperfectly. But this is what you should do. This is what you should not do. All for the benefit of the child. Well, God uses that same thing here. He is the one who brought the sea into existence. Therefore, he has all power and authority to command the sea to do as he wills. And that is one illustration or example of God's power manifest in and through creation. And this is just but one because the text also says, um, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wonderful works in the deep. So we're talking not only about creation. We're talking not only about the fact that he's in control of the natural elements of the world, but we're talking about all the deeds and works of the Lord that are connected to his chesed, his steadfast love. We've talked about that term, steadfast love, dozens of times. It never grows old. It is always before us. It is the steadfast love of the Lord that we can cling to and count on in the midst of our troubles and distress. Pastor, in the time that we have left, um, the deeds and works of the Lord that are directly connected to his steadfast love for me, the sinner. <laughs> in the time we have left, uh, yes, tell so it's you what the whole Bible says. Yes, got to uh, be well, concise. I mean, we have that word, uh, we saw his wondrous works in the deep, which connects us to creation when the Holy Spirit floated over the face of the deep. Uh, we have um, creation of Adam and Eve in the garden. We have the promise of a Savior given to them. We have all the uh, work that God did through the patriarchs, um, that uh, kept that promise of salvation in Jesus alive. They took him through uh, Noah through the flood waters. They brought Abraham into the promised land. Uh, they taught about Christ in the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, the lineage of Jesus was kept alive even as they went down into Egypt. They passed out of Egypt and slavery into the promised land. Uh, David and his whole family, Solomon, and the rest of them where God provided a kingdom so that the word might be preached. As that kingdom fell away from the word, God promised a remnant. Uh, and that continues on and on and on. All these things that lead up to Jesus Christ, who was born of that family, who was crucified for the whole world, rose again uh, so that we might have hope and salvation and forgiveness of sins in him and the knowledge that because of Christ we will uh, rise uh, to live forever with God in his kingdom. And so all those works that are in the scriptures, I mean, that's essentially what it's talking about, all these things that God does. And beyond that, we have the things God does for us specifically, and we talk about it in the catechism, that he gives me clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all I need to support this body and life. He purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and the power of the devil. We could go on and on and on about the wondrous works of the Lord. Okay, well said, and uh, you squeezed a lot into that short time. God loved the world, so that he gave. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. We are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane. We'd love to have you join us for worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages in between. We also worship every Wednesday evening, 6.30, that is throughout the year. So if you are busy on the weekends, if your job or other activities takes you away, keep us in mind. You can uh, join us as we uh, have the opportunity for an expanded worship schedule here at Good Shepherd. We have uh, multiple pastors, and uh, we have that privilege and that opportunity to be able to do that. And remember, every one of our worship services we have at Good Shepherd, Good Lord Willing, is broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln. In our first segment, we looked at the intro to portion of Psalm 107. We see that the people of God often get themselves in trouble and distress. There's one place we can go, and that is to the one true God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has proven his love in his mighty and awesome deeds. He created the world. He continues to preserve and keep everything in the world and the proof that is in the pudding of his uh, steadfast love is the gift of Jesus. God loved the world so that he gave. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading for today is very short in comparison to many of the gospel readings that we have, many of the narrative readings that we have. Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Pastor uh, Vicar, do you want to share those words with us, please? When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? Okay, great question. A great epiphany question. God is revealing himself to the world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor, give us a little bit of a... uh, Um, chronological order to what's going on here. What ended in Matthew chapter 7, and uh, where, where are we at roughly as we get to this point where Jesus calms the storm in Matthew 8, 23 to 27? Yeah, uh, Matthew, uh, right before this uh, in uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 has the uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches, which probably was preached somewhat north of the city of Capernaum on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so that uh, is completed, and we we heard uh, uh, last week about Jesus when he finished saying these things. Um, He went back into Capernaum and came down from that mountain. Uh, Now they are uh, getting into a boat probably onto the Sea of Galilee from the area of Capernaum. Uh, You can go and visit it today uh, and see the town and the village, the remains of probably St. Peter's House where there is an ancient church built. The foundations have a modern church built on top of that, kind of 
kind of looks like a UFO. Uh, but the Sea of Galilee is not a big sea. It's actually kind of like a, a big lake, actually. You can see across it from side to side. Uh, it is many, many feet below sea level. And so the, uh, the shores of the lake are very steep, mountains climbing on every side. And there are these valleys that go in uh, to the Sea of Galilee area. In fact, from Capernaum, you can see a very big one, a valley that runs from Nazareth to uh, Capernaum, probably where Jesus walked when he went from Nazareth to begin his ministry in that area. And these particular valleys oftentimes get a storm that blows down them right into the Sea of Galilee. And though not a big lake, when you are in an ancient boat built out of uh, uh, wood held together with... um, Uh, pins. Uh, It doesn't take a lot of water to possibly put your life in danger. And the sea does get very, very deep uh, as well. And so the storm comes up, blows down a valley. They're in a boat, uh, an ancient boat in the middle of the sea. It's kind of a dangerous situation for them. Vicar, you you are one. I know that you have... uh you have boated. You've got pictures of water skiing on the door, your vicarage office door here at the church. You've been in and around boats your whole life. How is it possible that these seasoned fishermen, these seasoned people who pretty much live and get their livelihood out of a boat, how is it possible that a storm could come up so quickly and catch them unaware? Yeah, that even happens still to this day. It wasn't too many years ago I was uh, on Davis Creek Reservoir, and it was a beautiful sunny day until about 3 o'clock. And then all of a sudden tornado-like conditions started coming on, and we rode the coastline all the way back to the boat ramp, and I had just gotten the boat on the trailer right before it started swamping in the back because the wind was blowing so hard. And these things happen still today, these natural disasters if you want to say it that way and shortly after that there was a tornado and pivots were being flipped over and all this good stuff but we can't judge even still today you know the weatherman might say that it's going to do one thing and it'll do another we just don't know what the weather's going to do and so these men here out on the boat trying to go to the other side of the lake and a great tempest came up on them, and it was a great way for the Lord to manifest himself to the disciples. And it's it's not a fiberglass boat that they're in. Uh, they found some of these ancient fishing boats in that area that swamped and uh, sank, and they've pulled them out of the water and rebuilt them. Uh, they're made out of uh, planks. They're held together with, uh, uh, you know, uh, grooves that are cut into the boards with, uh, um, what do you call them, that stick in the grooves, hold the two planks together next to each other. Biscuits, dowels, oh. dowels yeah. Um, and they're coated with um, uh, tar and pitch. They don't have life jackets. They don't have a GPS. They don't have a ele- uh, gas motor or an electric motor. Uh, they're out there on their own. Uh, uh, but they way. have Jesus. Well, but they have Jesus. Unfortunately, um, Jesus is asleep. Been a Jesus. long, long day, long day of teaching, all yeah. the beatitudes and been, sermon on the yeah, mount. Been a long day of being the son of God. He's tired. He's sleeping in the boat, and um, you know this. This is one of the passages that we have in our catechism that testifies to the humanity of Jesus. Um, You know, God is spirit. God doesn't sleep. But the God-man Jesus eats, sleeps, 
drinks. And uh, so uh, we, we sometimes go past passages like this, but um, God in flesh made manifest. This is one of the major themes of Scripture. This is one of the major themes of the Epiphany season. So uh, take note of that. The uh, disciples went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And then Jesus looks at them and says, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Is that a rebuke? Is that a word of comfort and consolation? Pastor, how would you characterize uh, this response of Jesus to the uh, disciples who are in trouble and in distress, just like we saw in Psalm 107? I think it is a rebuke. I think it is also uh, a word of comfort in that same way at the same time, both law and gospel, depending on how one is hearing it. Uh, I think it's really an amazing thing that Jesus is asleep uh, in a storm. Uh, as the vicar could tell you, when they're in a boat in a storm, the boat goes up and down, sometimes quite a ways. Uh, and uh, there's water splashing in. This is not a big boat that would it would be pretty close to fitting in our little radio station here. Um, and yet Christ is asleep. He's not concerned. He knows that God will take care of him, perhaps because he is God in the flesh. Uh, and so he's able to sleep even in this challenging thing. The disciples, on the other hand, are terrified. Their faith is not that God is going to provide for them, that God's going to care for them, uh, or that God will watch over them. They are terrified because... They think they need to take care of themselves, and their faith is in their boating or their fishing ability, like you said. Um, and so Christ rebukes that lack of faith with this question. And I think the key for us as hearers now, too, is that same question that Christ is asking them. He's asking us through this particular gospel lesson um, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? When we're faced with all sorts of difficulties and challenges, we forget about Christ and God and his promises, and we become terrified at what's going on. And yet, we, just like those apostles, are in God's hands. We, just like those apostles, uh, have God's continued care, uh, providing all of our needs of body, soul, and spirit. And, and so, why should we be afraid of the things that we face? It is uh, very tempting when you have a, par or, uh, a miracle like this to treat it like a parable and to immediately go and say, well, you know, what are the storms in your life? Jesus will calm the storms in your life. What are you afraid of? Jesus, I mean, and that's true. There's nothing wrong with that. But to skip over what happens next uh and immediately run to this allegorical treatment of the text um, really does not do justice to Christ and his word. Jesus, then, after he gives law and gospel to uh, his people, he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Pastor, what happened here? It's almost like uh, Jesus is God in the flesh, you know what I mean? Uh, it is the season of Epiphany where we're manifesting who Christ is 
through these miracles, and this reveals clearly that he is uh, the one that the psalmist wrote about in our intro, it, uh, that is spoke of in the Old Testament uh, in Isaiah, um, that is able to calm the wind and the seas uh, just by the power of his word. He's also the one who can create uh, the entire world and uh, universe just by saying, let it be. Christ is showing who he is, God in the flesh, by using his word uh, to control or change or affect creation. The creator of the wind and the waves now rebukes the wind and the waves and uh, shouldn't be a shocker. They listen. They obey. And immediately there is a reaction and a response. The men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. This is really the message of Epiphany, that God preaches and teaches through the church. And this is the question that every one of us gets to answer for ourselves. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus to me? Is he God in the flesh for me and for my salvation? Or do I look at God's word here and laugh? and scoff and say, oh, look at this, some, some silly little bedtime story that never took place. My friends, today is the day to hear God's word for you. This Jesus, God in the flesh, created you, created the entire world, and he is in complete control, yes, even of the wind and waves. And that should cause you to sleep well at night in the same way that Jesus slept well in the pit of the boat. We need to take a break. This is Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. When we come back, we're going to take a look at our epistle reading, Romans 8, 18 to 23. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. In segment one, we looked at the introit, a portion of Psalm 107. In segment two, we looked at the gospel reading, Matthew 8, 
23 to 27. And now in our third segment, we want to look at our epistle reading, Romans 8, 18 to 23. Vicar, share those words, would you please? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so Romans 8, we have uh, sort of the culmination of the doctrinal preaching and teaching of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We know that there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that we are freely justified through the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. We know that this uh, Uh, salvation, this forgiveness has been delivered to us in the waters of holy baptism, where we die and rise with Christ on a regular basis. We still sin, and we still struggle with that sin. And at the beginning of chapter 8, I just gave you a uh, kind of a quick cursory of the first seven chapters of Romans there. And then at the beginning of Romans 8, we have these uh, amazing words. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here in this particular text, we see God is teaching us that we are not alone in our suffering. We are not alone in our suffering. Yes, uh, the people of God suffer. Uh, We are in distress. Psalm 107 talks about this. The disciples in the boat talk about this. Uh, But amazingly, uh, God is teaching us that What is joining us in our suffering is something that we don't often think about. What is joining us in our suffering in this particular text, Pastor? The thing that is joining us in our suffering is Christ himself being with us um, throughout all these things. And not just Christ, but the promise that he carries, the promise that this world, uh, even though it might kill us, cannot defeat us. Uh, the promise that we have uh, eternal life with God forever in a world that is yet to come, that is to be revealed, or apocalypto uh, in the Greek here. Uh, the the word apocalypto uh, is also the name of the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, uh, where we see a picture of heaven, the thing that is to come, those standing before the throne of God in white robes. We're pictured there. We're promised that we'll be there. And so no matter what this world throws at us, uh, whatever sufferings we might face, it's not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. In this, uh, in this short text here, Romans 8, 18 to 23, I believe five or six times the phrase, the creation, is repeated. Uh, for the creation waits with eager longing, for the creation was subjected to futility. Um, The whole creation has been groaning together, not only the creation. Vicar, who or what is the creation? 
the creation is the world that we are living in. Uh, this world was not meant to bring forth thorns and thistles, and yet because man fell into sin, that is exactly what it produces. And there's natural disasters, and things die, and earth is uh, wasted away, and so creation itself groans with us, wanting God to redeem it, wanting God to make it perfect as it was back in the Garden of Eden. Um, I forget where Luther talks about this. It's for one of his sermons, but he talks about how even the cattle that we go out to milk are groaning because of the pain that it costs to serve us humans, <laughs> you know, with milk and uh, sheep with wool and stuff like that. All of creation is yearning for God to come back on the last day to make all things new, to restore it back to what it should be. Pastor, could we say that these uh, groanings of creation uh, result in tornadoes and floods and drought and the the catastrophic things that we see in nature? Or is that a superficial way of looking at things? Yes, um, sin results in all the things that are challenging and difficult in this world. Um, It's not, we have to be clear on this, it's not that there's a one-to-one correlation. It's not like Vicar uh, commits some terrible sin and so now God's going to send a tornado to wipe him out. But rather because all of us have sinned in Adam, as the text says, um, that Sin affects the whole world. It's contaminated the whole world, and now bad things happen uh, because of that sin. And and so sin causes these things, but there's not a one-to-one correlation each individual person. We have uh, earlier you said that we're not alone in our suffering, that Christ is with us, uh, that he delivers us, he, he, uh, he knows our suffering, and he takes care of us. This uh, deliverance... Uh, from our distress is described, this steadfast love, this chesed, is described to us in some kind of unique ways here in Romans 8. Uh, In verse 10, it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then in verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is this glory that uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us about? I think, uh, especially with the other words that are in the same context, apocalypto uh, as well, this glory that is yet to be revealed is who God is in his fullness. Uh, And the place where we see that glory in its fullness without fear, without worry, uh, is when we finally enter into the new creation, when we stand with God, when he lives with us face to face. Um, That's the glory that manifests itself in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when he's talking about that glory uh, that is to be revealed, uh, the glory uh, that uh, is to come, that is the time when we get to see God face to face in the new creation. So, Vicar, is this uh, new creation and this glory that God promises here, is this something that we have now, or is this something that we have later on at the end of the world? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Expand on that. 
this is something that we certainly have now. We have this hope, this uh, faith that we are right now the holy people of God. Uh, we are right now the forgiven children of God, uh, washed pure and clean in the waters of our baptism. But yet, as we've talked about before, we are still in this world, groaning with it, awaiting that final day when uh, God will come again to create everything anew when we will be perfect once again. We are right now saint and sinner, and we await the day when we will be completely and totally, utterly saint. No sin at all, perfect bodies, living with God in the perfect creation, being able to see God face-to-face with our own eyes. Okay, so we are the new creation by grace through faith in our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been washed clean in the waters of holy baptism, and yet we still live in this sin-filled world. We have lots of sufferings and distresses here, and God promises that there will come a time uh, with a new creation when God uh, destroys heaven and earth as we know it, and he creates all things new, and we will, after the resurrection of all flesh, we will live and enjoy this new creation. So it is truly a now and not yet. Pastor, uh, in verse 23, uh, it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Um, This first fruits language, what are we the first fruits of, and how does this tie in with uh, what we've been talking about in this text? Well, yeah, there's a lot we could say there. We we know that uh, first fruits is a fancy way of saying the the best things that you get uh, out of a crop or a harvest, the things that you uh, get first that you bring into the temple, uh, there's a lot of baggage that's carried with that word in the Old Testament. We know that Christ himself is the first fruits of them that sleep. Uh, in his resurrection, he's the first one who goes, and the rest of us will follow after. And here Paul uses that same word kind of in a uh, unique way. Uh, we... Uh, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Uh, and so the antecedent that first fruits goes with is the Spirit. What are the things the Spirit gives us now that are the first fruits that we'll see the fullness of when we finally enter into God's eternal kingdom? And I would say that that comes in the Word, it comes in baptism, and it comes in the Lord's Supper. Uh, that glory that Vicar was talking about earlier. Uh, we participate in that now in those things as well. We get the foretaste of the feast that is to come in the Lord's Supper. Uh, We have uh, our sins forgiven and washed away in baptism, and yet because we still live in the sinful world, Daily, we have to drown that old Adam and sinful nature. When we get to heaven, uh, we'll see the fullness of that. The sinful nature will be gone. And so in that way, I think the Spirit is giving us the things now uh, in a way we can understand them here in this world. When we are in heaven or in the new creation with God, uh, we'll get those things in their fullness, uh, not in their hidden way. Okay, very well said. Uh, We are... uh Uh, need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at the Old Testament reading for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. It's a long text, and it probably is a familiar text to you, too. One of the great Sunday school stories, Jonah and the Big Fish. Jonah 1, 1 to 17. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. 
You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. In our final segment today, we want to look at the Old Testament reading for Epiphany 4, Jonah 1, 1 to 17. Long text, take it away, Vicar. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us, that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us of on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet for you. For I know it is because of me that this great temptest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, well, sadly, we've only got one segment to look at this long text, but at least we uh, we 
are going to take some time to look at this. Um, we we have uh, the the familiar story. Jonah is told to go and preach against Nineveh. Jonah's afraid. He's afraid for his own skin. He doesn't want to go. God says go one way. Jonah goes the other way, and uh, this is not acceptable to the Lord. Uh, the Lord loves the people in Nineveh, wants them to hear the word of God, and Jonah is his chosen instrument to bring this about. The uh, storm on the sea now comes up. We've had stormy seas in our introit. We have stormy seas in our gospel reading. We have stormy seas here in Jonah 1. Um, Jonah tries to hide. Uh, the truth comes out. We've got all these uh, wonderful details here with uh, with regard to Jonah's confession and uh, the, the people trying to seek out the truth. He is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Verse 10, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Pastor, I think this is a, uh, a very common word and a very common question that people have in the midst of their suffering. They look at their situation around and they think, what can I do or maybe what can I offer or what can I sacrifice so that God will notice me, God will love me, God will care for me, God will protect me. Uh, why is that such a common reaction when problems befall us? Because in everything that we do in this world, there always seems to be a way to fix it. we talking about how do we get enough food to eat. Well, we have to go to our job and get our paycheck and go to the store. When we uh, talk about how uh, we prepare for retirement, we have to put money away a little bit at a time over a long period of time create a plan, all these things, uh, we do something and then there's a result. Uh, and that's the way we think it is with suffering as well. And yet so often that's exactly the opposite of what the reality is. There's nothing we can do to eliminate suffering. Sometimes the only thing we can do is to suffer. And yet we still ask that question. The person with cancer says, you know, what do I do to fix this, even if there is nothing you can do to fix it? Uh, the person who is 100 years old might say, you know, I don't want to die. And yet the chances of them dying grow with every single day. Um, we ask that question because we want to be in charge of our lives, and yet we're really not. God is. It's, uh, it's ironic, you know, we're going to be observing the sanctity of human life here on this particular Sunday, fourth Sunday after Epiphany. And uh, the reaction, they, they want to appease God and to calm the storms. And uh, what Jonah and the people of God, or the uh, other sailors on the ship, the mariners, uh, agree to is uh, they think that the best idea is uh, human sacrifice. And uh, let's just throw Jonah in the sea. Let's just have a, ha a human sacrifice here, and then maybe God will be appeased. I can't help but think that when people find themselves in trouble in this world, and the trouble that I'm talking about here is grandma or grandpa are becoming a strain because of their uh dementia, their Alzheimer's, their lingering age, the money is... Uh, 
uh, swallowed, being swallowed up. The estate is gone. Uh, maybe we just need to pull the plug on Grandma or Grandpa and uh, make a little human sacrifice here for the good of the family. Um, the uh, businesswoman or the young teenager discovers that she is pregnant, and uh, we don't want to mess up life and the plans that we have in life. So uh, maybe we can make a little human sacrifice, uh, like abortion, and uh, we'll work it out ourselves. Pastor, is uh, is that a fair way to uh, connect the dots here with regard to what the uh, sailors in Jonah have come up with? It, it can be. I think we could make those connections, especially preaching on Life Sunday here. The interesting thing is is that the prophet of the Lord, Jonah, is the one who says, throw me into the sea. And the mariners at first don't want to do it, mariners being suspicious people. Um, they're not uh, superstitious. They're just a little stitious, right? <laughs> um, they, they, they try and come up with other ways they try to row back they throw the uh cargo overboard and it's only then as the last resort that they finally follow through with that and do throw jonah overboard and yet we do think that way in our lives don't we is there a way that we can make a sacrifice uh even the ultimate sacrifice of someone else uh, to take care of these problems and i think that's where god comes in and says okay 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 fine I'll take care of it. And he sends his son into the world, to the cross, to bleed, to die, and to suffer uh, so that we do have a solution. Uh, he's the human sacrifice that counts and matters. The rest of them uh, all fall short, and we can't self-justify by taking a life. Only God can justify by taking the life of his son. I think uh, and that's exactly where I wanted to go with this, Pastor. We, uh, we, we are very, very willing to uh, make a human sacrifice as long as that human sacrifice is somebody else besides us. Right. And when God calls us to drown and die in the waters of holy baptism, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, a little, a little self-mortification, um, we run from that faster than, uh, than Jonah ran from uh, Joppa. Uh, we don't want any part of it. And so God takes this foolish notion that the only thing that can appease an angry God is a human sacrifice. He takes this crazy notion and he blesses it and he sanctifies it and he teaches us the sacrificial nature of God. We don't offer human sacrifices to appease God like the pagan nations. God takes on flesh and blood and offers his son, his only son, as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. Our sin of taking human life uh, for granted, our sin of all of our false idols, including the idol of life, God takes that into himself and onto himself. He bleeds and dies. He rises from the dead. Um, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Jesus points to the sign of Jonah, the son of God, would be in the belly of the earth for three days. Death does not have the last word. Life has the last word. And all of us who cling to Jesus, whatever our sins are, all of us who cling to Jesus have that freedom and forgiveness that only he can provide. Thanks be to God. And that's a message not only for Life Sunday, that's a message for each and every day of our lives. Uh, Vicar, 
Would you do us the honor and uh, bring things to a close today by praying the collect of the day? Let us pray. Almighty God, you know we live in the midst of so many dangers that in our frailty we cannot stand upright. Grant strength and protection to support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today. You can check us out on our website, www.thecross957.org. Listen to any of the previous segments here or the archive programs. Check us out. Give us some feedback, and we'll see you again next week. God's richest blessings in Jesus' name.